So today's scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs. It's actually four different passages. Uh, feel free to follow along in your Bibles if you have one, but also the text will be, uh, is, is already up on the screen. So starting with Proverbs chapter 16, verses 23 through 24, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Next verse, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Next is Proverbs chapter 12, verses 18 through 19. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Lastly, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Pillar. Uh, My name is Ron Koya, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I had the first two weeks of Proverbs, and next week John Ransom will be back in the pulpit and uh, taking the next, the final two weeks in our series, our four-week series in Proverbs. I want to start off with a story that comes from the classroom. I, I'm a high school teacher. I teach English at Kubasaki High School on Foster. And one day, a couple of years ago, uh, or two years ago, a girl in my class, just while we were chit-chatting at the start of class, she just said you know what would be a good idea is once in a while have somebody from the class go up front and we can all go around the room and tell them good things about that person. And I was like, why? I mean, it's a good idea, but why? And she said, well, because sometimes we don't see the good in us, but other people do. And it would be really helpful to know what other people think of us. And I said to Melanie, that's a great idea. Let's do it right now. So I have this randomizer in, in class. It just has all the kids' names, and you press a button, and two kids pop up. And so I was like, go up front. So the kids went up front, and they had stools, and they sat there. And I just gave them some basic overview of giving compliments or encouragement to people. It is make it to them. Like, don't tell me that he is a smart kid. Tell, say, you are a smart kid. So just the pronoun means a lot. And then the second thing is make it something specific. So that day in class, those two kids went first, and it was kind of awkward. Teenagers are too cool to give compliments, you know. And it went around the room, and kids started to say things. Like, uh, some of them were surface-based, or, or at least basic, I should say. Things like, hey, you're, you really are a good writer. I, I like hearing your stuff in class. They started to get deeper as the classes went on. Every other, I see the kids every other day. Two more kids were up front. There's about 25 kids in class. And weeks later, we got through all of them, and by the end, kids were going deeper into what they saw in their character of their classmates. Things like, I love it when you peer review my paper because you see things that I miss and you make my paper better. They, some of them were even surfacy, like, oh, you dress so cute. Uh, but even that <laughs> really helped kids see something about them. And I will tell you, these 16, 17-year-olds, high-performing kids, Every single one of them, when it was their turn, they pretended they didn't want to go up, but their eyes were glossy with tears, and they went back to their seat feeling a little more proud, a little more happy. Now, 
it's no surprise that that class became my favorite class of that year. It became closer, more honest, more important of that year. Kids will not remember many of the lectures I've given, and they're really good. Uh, But they're going to remember Melanie's little experiment when we can tell each other something that we miss in ourselves. And that's what we're going to look at today, the power of the tongue. I call this sermon today, Arrows or Apples? What characterizes our speech? Now, a little refresh to last week, a review of last week. Remember that our study of Proverbs hermeneutically is not a literal interpretation of these. We're trying to pull out principles that are important to what we see here. And just for a means of review, I want to show you one verse that shows that we can't take this literally, and this one is about speech. Proverbs 26 tells us this. uh, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Do I answer a fool or do I not answer a fool? I need to know. Some of you asked me a question and I want to know how to reply. Uh, so, uh, insult the audience is never one in the speaking uh, charts, uh, things to do. But the idea is that we, we're looking at this, that if we were to take this literally, this has a very clear contradiction. It tells us one more time that Proverbs are meant to look for principles here. So that can be true without a, constitu- uh, a contradiction. My commitment today is to stay only in Proverbs. Proverbs from chapters 10 to 31 is an onslaught of Proverbs all mixed together. It's like the stream of consciousness that Solomon and authors had. They don't have passages that we can follow. Uh, The ones about speech are all throughout the book of Proverbs. And there are so many of them that I had to stop looking outside of Proverbs. So I know there are great verses in the Bible, all through the Bible, about how important our speech is. I'm purposefully not looking at anything outside of Proverbs. This is a summary of looking at Proverbs just thematically dealing with speech. But the one thing that is going to be the overarching one is Proverbs 18 that you heard Brent read this morning. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is going to frame our whole time together. In whatever we're looking at with speaking, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we're going to see that today. Just a quick outline for for you who like notes or like structure and order here. Uh, Here's what I'm going to cover today. We're going to look at words that hurt, words that heal and give hope. What are we going to do with this? We're going to make our words count for something. And then our final point is Jesus as the ultimate word. Our thesis, the overarching main idea of today that will guide me in trying to open up God's word, is that our words or our silence changes those around us, pointing people to Jesus or away from him. So our words or our silence changes those around us, pointing people to Jesus or away from him. Words matter, and we're going to hear this in many different ways today. So first, the first point I want to look at is words that hurt. Uh, and, and this is one that Proverbs has a lot to say about words that hurt. Now, as a teacher, I teach a lot of advanced uh, writing classes, and I teach AP government. So I have these high-end kids. And high-end kids often produces <coughs> parents who are involved. And I, I get a lot of emails as a teacher, and most of them are not good. 
Um, I would say that my ratio of hate mail to praise mail is about five to one not good side of things. Monday mornings are my worst day being a teacher because I'm afraid to open up Outlook because I know there's, it's like, okay, what, what did some, somebody interpret me saying or what grade, what did I say, you know, all of that. But this idea, this hurtful words come at me and then I read these parent emails and I've been a teacher for over 20 years and I've gotten, I've, I collect them, I really do. I collect them in this folder. It's gonna be my book at retirement. You know, a hundred ways why you should not be a teacher. Uh, or, or like to have not go into this profession. But the idea, like I get this email and it like crushes me. This parent who doesn't know me, doesn't know the situation, doesn't know the subject or doesn't know the assignment, somehow is going to define who I am. And I let this define who I am. I can't let it go sometimes. And I think we're the same. We take parent out of it. Look at ICE comments. They're supposed to stand for interactive customer evaluation. But it's like, I am going to blast the waiter because she was not, I don't know, you fill in the blank, whatever the, the waiter does or doesn't do. We call them ice complaints. They're not supposed to be called ice complaints, but we do. I mean, we've done that with Amazon reviews, or Air, Airbnb in particular. Like, I have taken great delight. I've been in an Airbnb, and it's been terrible, and it's like, oh, I can't wait to write the review of this place. Like somehow these words that like these negative words can come out of us so quickly. And we see this in a real life situation when, when you look at the trends with teenage da data from 10 year olds up looking at the increase of anxiety and depression and suicides. I mean, we start to see these ideas, these 10, 12 year olds committing suicide. And you read, you read the, the article about the kid and it's always involved social media, bullying in some way or another. Now, of course, there's many factors involved, and I'm not trying to isolate it, but the idea of words can do something to us. Words can actually harm us in some way. I, I'm a student of uh, speech patterns, especially of teenagers. I'm not a cool kid, but I want to know what the cool kids say. And so I started to hear this weird phrasing that kids would say a couple of years ago. If you did something as a friend, and, and it I disagreed with, I would say something like, get out of here, get lost, shut up, you know, that kind of thing. Well, the phrase, those phrases have been replaced with, go kill yourself. Have you heard this before? Go kill yourself in this joking kind of way. And that was just shocking. Now, even if one of my good friends said that to me, it would, it would sting a little bit. It's this idea that words matter, words can be hurtful, and words can change those around us. And this is true with social media posts. Proverbs is going to have something to say about our social media posts as well, that our words can really hurt somebody from what we say online. Let's start with Proverbs 12, this nice image here of what words can do. Proverbs 12 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We see this juxtaposition here that our words, I mean, we talk about words being weapons, but uh, is not only just a weapon, but a very specific weapon, a sword thrust. It can pierce us very clearly. And we've been on the rece recipient end of that, that we felt what words are like and they hurt us. Um, I, I mentioned last week that Proverbs was one of the first sermons I gave in this uh, homiletics class years ago in Bible college. And I used this, this illustration of Pretty Woman, the movie Pretty Woman. This is no advocate of, of 
situation. I, I don't know why I have to give these disclaimers, but uh, it's like, don't go watch it. But anyway, in this woman, in this movie, Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts plays a prostitute. Richard Gere plays a man who falls in love with her. And as they're having this talk, he asks her, how did you ever choose this lifestyle? Like, how does, how does one become a prostitute? What leads her, you there? And she said, well, growing up, you hear, you're no good, you're no good. Pretty soon, you start to believe it. And I always thought that was a great image of what words can do for us. You're no good, you're no good. Joking or not, you're no good. Pretty soon, we can't but help to believe it. Sword thrust into our heart. Well, Proverbs doesn't just think about the ill intent, the cruel words, but Proverbs tells us something about joking words, too. Joking words, Proverbs 26 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. It's like your guy, the guy next door is shooting off these arrows across the fence and hits you in the jugular. Hey, uh, I'm sorry, man. Just joke. Come on, you can take it. You're ugly. I'm just kidding. You're, you're really the dumbest person in this room. I'm just kidding. Come on, you're not. Uh, those ideas of as if just joking is the solve that makes everything better of what you just said. Sword thrusts are sword thrusts. And adding you're just joking, the arrow still is there. The sword is still inside. And it can't help but change that. It, you can't change that very quickly. Hurtful words, joking words. Proverbs talks about gossip. And we delight in gossip for some reason. If I heard you telling me that you were, you were gossiping about some guy at work, I would take my religious elderish stance and say, gossip is a sin. However, if you come and say, hey, you know that guy at work? Guess what? What? You know, <laughs> not, not, now I'm invested, you know? Now I'm like, what? What? Tell me. I, I need to know. So I can pray about it. And so gossip, here's what, here's what Proverbs tells us about gossip. A worthless person, a, a wicked man, goes out with crooked speech, winks his, with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. This is what our gossiping words do, whether we're on either side, whether we're the receiver or the giver of gossiping words, in the sense that we're sharing it or we're listening to it. We are involving ourselves with sowing discord. You have been on the side where you have been the subject of the gossip. I know you have. People have gossiped about you like they've gossiped about me. And when you find that out, it is hurtful. Back to that idea, death and life is on the tongue, and that is death. No one gossips about something good. Hurtful words, joking words, gossip. And then this other area that Proverbs talks about, it is talking and talking and talking and talking is that sometimes our words can hurt people because we give a barrage, this tidal wave of words as if we're giving them wise counsel like Job's friends were giving to him. Words and words. Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs 10. When words are, ma- when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Some versions say sin is present. So when I have a lot of words, the more I talk, the percentage analytical code, I'm going to sin more likely. So maybe I need to restrain my lips a little bit in talking so much. Some of us 
this sermon is going to help us to speak up and give encouraging words more. Some of us need to learn to shut up. Some speak up, some shut up. Because sometimes when people are hurting, for example, that idea of, oh, you know what you should do? Well, you should be quiet. That's what you should do, is maybe we shouldn't be so quick and we should listen more than we talk. Proverbs 17 says that even a fool, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. So if a fool can do this, who can pretend to be wise, how much more so are we wise people by closing our lips? If a fool looks smart, think how genius mental level we would look if we just keep our mouth shut sometimes and listen to people. Social media, face-to-face, on the phone, all of those included. That's words that hurt. Let's move to something I think a little more encouraging for us, words that heal and give hope. Fortunately, that Proverbs has way more to say about these words that heal and give hope than it does about those that are cursing us and damaging us. Proverbs 18, once again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're moving from the death, and now let's look at the life in the power of the tongue. Let me start off with two examples. Proverbs 12 tells us, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And you can feel that buoyancy in one's life. Anxiety weighs us down, but a good word, even just a word, can lift me up. Proverbs 15, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. My tongue, my speech can be somebody's tree of life that lifts them up. I mean, think about the power that we have in a simple act of speaking. The example that I have for this is very clear, and it's one I've told many times, and I apologize if you've heard it. I share it every chance I get because... It probably, in my years, this is a pivotal moment in my life. It was 11th grade in high school in a U.S. history class. And I, in high school, I was a nothing kid in every definition of the word. Didn't, didn't, no one noticed me in any way, good or bad or sideways. I was just a kid going through class. And in this class, Mrs. Temkin, my 11th grade a U.S. history teacher assigned us, we were learning about westward expansion and manifest destiny. This idea that God has given Europeans the God-given right to take the land all the way to the sea on the west coast. And so in this test that we had to write, this little essay test, we had to write, explain manifest destiny and give evaluation of it. Well, in this test, I'm writing about manifest destiny, and I was like, this isn't anything to do with God, it has to do with the settler's Uh, greed and their desire for money and riches. So really, this is, I ended with my closing line, this is not manifest destiny. It should be called money-fest destiny. (laughs) It's gold. Money-fest destiny. I was proud of it, turned it in. I got it back, and Mrs. Temkin wrote in the margin. She said, Ron, This shows your great understanding of the topic and your sense of humor is excellent. Keep up the good work. This little stupid paper with a little scratch from my teacher on it woke me up. I saw something that I never saw in myself. I never, I never, no one ever complimented me for my school performance in any way ever. And here Mrs. Temkin writes these two sentences, 
maybe a throwaway line for her. You know, she might have wrote it for the kid right before the, the seas in Koya. Uh, it, but this meant so much to me. It meant so much to me that happened 35 years ago, and I'm telling that to you today. That comment, that encouragement has resonated in my heart for 35 years, which is longer than most of you have been alive. That comment has been dinging around in my head in some way. I quoted a commentator, Pastor Ray Ortland, last week. He says, our words can impact people for decades, can impact people for decades, and how true that is in this life. Now, Mrs. Temkin, she didn't know what she, I never, I was too shy to ever tell her how much that comment meant, but man, I wish I could now. In fact, if I could have access to that paper, I didn't save any of that stuff. I know some of you do. If I could have that last sheet of paper where she wrote that comment, I really, I would pay about $5,000, maybe 10000 for it. I would frame it, and I'd put it above my desk. And I w- wouldn't put it above my desk because I'm so proud of this writing. It probably was a terrible essay. Um, but I put it up there to remind me how my words can resonate with people for decades. My speech matters. And don't you know, as I grade essay after essay after essay, Mrs. Temkin is watching over my shoulder, in a sense. And every time I'm thinking, this is a really bad essay. I grade high school English. I read lots of bad essays. (laughs) But where can I find this tree of life that I can give a kid for one split second? There has to be something in this essay. Nobody has ever created this group of words. It's never existed in the history of the world. This kid has created a work of art. In some way, where can I find a tree of life that I can give this kid? Mrs. Temkin's words impacted me for decades. Proverbs 25 tells us this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Apples of gold in a setting of silver. I don't even know. Does that look good? Gold, silver, does that even go together? I don't know. I don't think it's supposed to look beautiful. I think it's spo- the, the principle here is that it's supposed to be valuable. You take gold and silver together and put it together and give it to somebody, that is what our word, fitly spoken, given by the right person on the right topic at the right time in the right way, that is perhaps the most valuable thing that person can receive from you today. And I love that idea, a word fitly spoken. All of these good things, these words give hope. And I I guarantee if we could go around the room right now, you all have the story about a word that was given to you, the death or the life word. I hope it's the life word. I hope you all have the manifest destiny experience somewhere in your life where somebody saw something in you that perhaps altered your perception of yourself. I hope you have that. Are we offering this to other people? Or are are we giving them these apples of gold or these firebrands and arrows? Which one are we offering our people around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in church? Which ones are we doing? Let's move on to like, what does this mean? How can we do something today, making our words count for something? A friend of a friend recommended this book called The Relentless Encourager. And uh, Mark Halleck wrote this, uh, a pastor in Colorado. And uh, The Relentless Encourager, the subtitle is Bringing Life to Others Through What We Say. And just the title alone, Relentless Encourager. Relentless Encourager. I love this. Here's a quote in this that means a lot, and I think it would to you too. A mark of a mature, 
godly, others-focused individual is the practice of regular, consistent, genuine encouragement. Every person you know is in need of encouragement. I like that. Because if we want to be a mature, godly, other-focused individual, which I think we can all say yes, no one's here who doesn't want to be a godly individual, but a mark of that is how well you can see good in other people. How well can you reach out and encourage them with genuine encouragement and consistent encouragement? Well, for the hurting, yes. But you know who else needs encouragement? Your spouse, your kids, the guy sitting right next to you in church. People need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. Nobody is above needing encouragement. And we're talking about specific encouragement. I worked with a guy, great guy, one of the nicest guys I know. He would get up to our faculty meetings often, and he would say, hey, I just want to thank you for everything you do. Whether it's like in a big group like this or one-on-one, he'd say, Ron, thanks for everything you do. I'm like, well, what's one? I mean, is there one thing I do that, you know, like the everything doesn't help me see what it is that I, I need here. Or you're awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, it's better than being poked in the eye, I guess. But, but like what? What in particular are we giving people specific feedback on? What does that look like? Well, it looks like us trying to isolate some aspect either from what they did, what they said, how they acted, being able to tell someone specifically, and I'll pick on dads for a second, to hear, dads never hear, you're a good dad. Do you know that? Moms probably do it. I don't know. No one privies me to those conversations. Moms probably tell each other what great moms they are. Dads don't tell dads. It's like, you should know it. I'm a dad. Uh, but, but dads need to hear what great dads they are when they're being great. If they're dirtbag dads, you know, don't like help them be better, and then encourage them in those areas. Uh, But be honest and sincere. Where can we find encouragement in the sense of being a father? Or when have you given true, specific encouragement to your spouse today? Very specific. You know I love you, don't you? I mean, that is the most unromantic thing to say. It's like, well, why don't you tell me? Why you? In what way do you love me? Don't just, you know I love you. I don't have to say it, right? Uh, No, say it. And so specific, this makes you, a mar- that's the mark on you of being a godly, mature, other-focused individual, being a relentless encourager. But we don't, let's face it. We, we just don't do it. And what stops us? Probably one of these three areas stops us from doing that. We may want to do it, right? We want to be considered an encourager, but we don't. Pride, laziness, or blindness, Kind of one of these three. One of these three, perhaps, prohibits us from giving this encouragement. Pride is, is, is a tough one here because I look at my kids, and my kids all have chores around the house, dishes and sweeping and cleaning the table. Now, I could do dishes better than any of them. And when uh, Hudson does dishes, I'm like, I don't want to encourage him because I could do way better. And Grace sweeping the floor, you know who is a good sweeper? This guy. Uh, <laughs> And so I don't want to give anything because, you know, I don't want to, I can do it better. And then you take it out of the house and and look at church here. Well, you know, people up here, Victor on the keys, he's all right. I don't want to encourage him because I could do better. Mary had a little... (laughs) And so this idea, this, this idea of pride gets in our way of being able to encourage others. 
And maybe we're afraid to say something to another people, another person about something specific because it makes us look worse at the keyboard or sweeping or whatever it is we're trying to encourage uh, other fathers, how they're doing. Pride gets in the way. Laziness gets in the way in the sense that, oh, you know, I really want to tell, um, I, I really want to tell uh, Grant he did a great job today, but I don't want to do it. He looks busy right now. I'll do it when I get home. Uh, you know what I want to do for Grant, though? I want, I want to actually write him a note. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll do it. Tomorrow, I'll get a note. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? Got? Grant loves calligraphy. He loves it. I'm going to write Grant a note in a calligraphy, with calligraphy. But I'm out of nibs. Crap. I'm going to go to Amazon, get some nibs, so when they come, I'll write Grant a note in calligraphy, and he'll know how much I appreciate his work on this. That's what it is, I think. Maybe. Nah, yeah, yeah I'll do it next week. And so the idea of this laziness kind of gets away. We, we, we'll send that text another time. We'll send that email another time. No, do it right there. Do it closest to the event as possible. If you see something in somebody that causes you to look to Jesus better, in whatever way, do it right there. And text message is, is really good for that. And then the last one, pride, laziness, probably the worst one of all, I think, is blindness is that this is the worst of all because our hearts aren't trained to look for the good in other people. And this is something probably not active, it's more passive, is that we're just not looking out for the good of others. We're not looking for opportunities to encourage people with some very clear, specific, godly encouragement. We're kind of inward focused. We're looking at what people give us. We all love encouragement. Um, We love that. But we have to train our heart to look for things that we can see that I can thank God for you in your service. I can thank God. We'll go back to Grant for a second. I thank God that he has brought Grant into Pillar Okinawa. And so we tell Grant that. Now, on one hand, we can say, Grant, you're a great guitar player, a great worship leader, which, by the way, Grant, I think you are, you are my favorite worship leader in all the years I've been a Christian. No doubt. We would not be the same without you, for sure. But let's not get his head too big. Let's also give glory to God. I thank God for Grant. You see how that works? That doesn't take anything away from Grant. We love Grant. I love, I am Grant's biggest fan in this room, guaranteed. Uh, But we're not taking anything away from Grant by giving God the glory. We're actually giving more glory to Grant as we give glory to God. That God has sent a guy like Grant into my life. It makes me closer to Jesus because of Grant's work here. You know, Grant's not going to be, hey, what about me? What about me? Talk about my guitar playing. Uh, He wouldn't say that. He would say, wow, that's great. That's the kind of thing that we need to look for. We need to be trained to look. Over-encourage if we can. And think about you. When is the last time you gave very clear, specific, targeted encouragement to somebody? Whether this is your spouse or your children or the people you work with, Very clear, specific, spoken or written, but just something very clear. How about when's the last time you gave it to your MC, your small group leaders? You know, just think about that one area. A lot of you are involved in MCs. People clean their house. They prepare a meal probably in some way. You come over, you trash their house. Your kids go rampant everywhere. You stay way too long. And you leave the house like just this tornado has been through it. And you're like, hey, see you next week. <laughs> when is the last time you gave them very clear, specific encouragement and thanking them 
for God. Because of you, I am learning uh, more about Jesus because you, we mess up your house, and I thank God for you. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you thanked EJ, who is our um, children's ministry coordinator? She manages eight classes on a Sunday, so your children are not in here right now so that you can focus on learning about Jesus in some way. She's in charge of taking care that they learn about Jesus in some way there. When's the last time you said in a text or an email or even face-to-face or a calligraphy note, thank you to EJ for what you have done for me? When have you thanked John and Linnea Ransom? Now, let me tell you a little secret here is that we often think that our pastors, and John is our lead pastor. If you're new here the last two weeks, John hasn't been here, but he'll be back next week. John and Linnea, we think that they're so high that they don't need encouragement. They should just be giving encouragement. Let me be the first to tell you that I think John and Linnea need more encouragement where they are leading this church well. And when was the last time you didn't just say, hey, John, great sermon, but when was the last time you said, John, I thank God for you in this fill-in-the-blank because this fill-in-the-blank for him. And for Linnea. Linnea needs it too. Sometimes John gets all the attention because he's up here all the time. But Linnea needs it as well. Let that be our charge today to text somebody in our church midst. Just let's start here in our church midst that, in, that deal with ministry. Where can we give targeted encouragement? In the Relentless Encourager, he has something in the back uh, called the Barnabas Challenge. And Barnabas, as you know, his name is actually Joseph but he is known as such an encourager to everybody. Everybody wants Barnabas, uh, Joseph around him that they started to give him this little nickname, like, uh, um, uh, what do pilots call there? Call signs, call signs. Uh, it's his little call sign there. I, I wanted to connect to the pilots in the room. Uh, he, as, his, as his call sign, it is uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So this is, don't go into work with that on your shirt. That would be stupid. But the idea is that the relentless encourager is like, make it a part of our practice. I'm going to encourage three people today with text messages, words, or typing in some way. Uh, three people a day. Easy. There are four people in my house. Okay? So I could do that by breakfast. And so we need to do this with people around us. What would your family be like? if you encouraged them, if you were a relentless encourager in your house? How would your marriage thrive? How would your parenting thrive? How would your parents feel to be encouraged? Because they need encouragement too, your parents do. What would it look like at work if you were the guy to not only uh, encourage those guys under you, but those guys on your level, and even better, those guys above you? regardless of rank. Imagine what that would sound like. I don't know what that would sound like in your specific circumstance, but I want to be the guy. My my guy in front of us is is a principal above me. So I want to be the guy that I'm going to look for ways to encourage my principal. He's above me. He's my boss. He might be able to fire me. I don't know. I'm a federal employer. I don't, I don't, federal employee teacher. I don't think I can ever be fired, but uh, (laughs) I could encourage him. Imagine what a workplace would look like if we just took it as our our challenge to be encouragers. What would our church look like if we looked for ways for God working in each other's life? Hey, I see how God has worked in your life. I see how how, how you've responded to this specific challenge in life, and that has been so encouraging to me. Thank you for that. Imagine if that was our, our, 
our uh, language here. Back to Ortland again. True, sincere, honest words bind us together in communities. True, sincere, honest words bind us together. Whether this community is, is church, family, or work, that right there, words matter. And if you're looking for a place to put this in the ultimate practice, hospitality. <laughs> now, <laughs> let me tell you, have you thanked the guy in charge of hospitality lately? <laughs> uh, here's what I love about hospitality ministry, and that is the greeting, the cl- setup, cleanup, and also the child check-in. That kind of falls in those areas. Is that I know that I get to be, when, I, when I'm out front, I get to be the first face many people have to pillar. And what, that is a high and holy calling, is that people come, and I've mentioned this before, they look lost because our church building is not a church building at all. You know, it's like, it's like, where do you go? I'm, I, right now, if I, I, well, I'm not going to do this, but I, I'd ask you to raise your hand if you went next door for church, if you're new. And everyone goes next door to church for new. And you need people there to help give these words of encouragement in some way. Another type of encouraging word is words of welcome. And at, with the hospitality ministry, you get to be the person who gives these words of welcome. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Too bad. God ma- commands us to be hospitable. Does, doesn't matter. Uh, and so the idea is that I want to give words to, wel- words to welcome people to show that Christ has welcomed me. In the same way Christ has welcomed me, the stranger, the outcast, I get to do that to somebody who's new here. Proverbs 16 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Just looking at that as being this uh, verse for hospitality ministry is so clear, is I get to be the guy who gives gracious words like a honeycomb. I get to do that. And it's an opportunity to serve. And so I want you to be part of the ministry for hospitality, not because we need more people. We need more people, but that is not why. The purpose is that you need it because it gives you an opportunity to break out of your introverted uh, personality that you think you have, which you might, but it forces you to look for ways to use your words to connect to people. And that is a high and holy calling and one that you should participate in. Right behind Brandon, take a look at Brandon and Ashley there. Look at them right there. First time hospitality people, give them a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, thank thank you. I'm actually pointing to Brandon because right behind Brandon, there's a kiosk, and the kiosk has uh, a little sign-up page. If you want to join the hospitality ministry, it would only be once every six weeks or so is that you would stand and you would be that face welcoming people the way Christ welcomed you. We'd love to have you. Put your name in the kiosk today. Our final point is this. We talk about words, and words matter to God, but this final point is Jesus as the word. Jesus throughout the Bible is talked about as the word. In, in John, I, I'm not going to talk about other verses, but in John, the, the word was with God and the word was God. Revelation tells us Jesus is called the word of God. And I like that idea that Jesus is the word and we're asked to use words to connect and encourage people. But Jesus also speaks on our behalf. And this is this, is this really cool theology of intercession it's called. Hebrews tells us that he always lives, Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. Right now, 
No matter what parent email you've gotten, no matter what sword thrusts have poked you, no matter what flaming arrows came over your fence recently, Jesus is speaking on your behalf to the Father. That's what intercession is. Jesus is telling the Father us, who we are, who we really are in our position. Jesus is speaking about us. He's almost gossiping about us, all the good stuff that we have. And we love that. One day we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Encouraging words from Jesus himself. This is very important. And we are the hands and feet and words of Jesus, bringing hurt, words to the hurt and to the downcast and to the anxious. We get to do that. Jesus is doing it for us. We get to do it for others. We have failed with our words, but Jesus has not. We have failed again and again. Jesus has not. When Jesus was on earth, every single time, Jesus said the right thing that needed to be said, the most encouraging thing, the proper thing every time, the wise thing, the hope-giving, life-changing, God-glorifying thing. Every time, Jesus has spoken the right thing. And here's where the gospel is on display for us today. We do not try to use our words properly to earn favor with God. It would never work that way. We couldn't do that. Our speaking life is just one of the many areas that put our full failures on display before God. If we were to just take what we have said in our life, just that part of our life, it would be enough to condemn us. We can even go narrower and say the words that we spoke to people we love, my parents, my wife, my kids, my close friends, just take the words I spoke to that small group of people, that is enough to condemn me to eternal separation from God. But that is not the end of the story. The end of the story is this, the good news that in spite of all these failures, Jesus paid for that sin, all the sins that deserve eternal death. Back to Proverbs 18 again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus paid for every hurt word we have ever spoken. Jesus paid for all the gossip we've ever passed on. Jesus paid for all those dirty jokes we've told. All that filthy talk we've said, Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for every encouraging word we held back and didn't say. Jesus paid to make you holy and righteous and blameless before the Father. Jesus paid so that your sin becomes his and his righteousness in every perfect speaking, in every perfect way, becomes yours. And we get to enter into this relationship with God in the same way that God uses to bring families together. We enter into this relationship with words. God uses words to enter into this family relationship. Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, Pillar, let us use our speech for God's glory and for the building up of each other. Darren's going to come up now and lead us in a prayer of confession for all the ways we have not done this.